Hi there, my name is Adam Waters, and I'm the lead pastor here at Grace Bible Church in Elmhurst, Illinois. I'm just so glad that you made the decision to take us along with you this week on life's journey. Here at Grace Bible Church, we are a family of faith who seeks forgiveness, healing, and hope in Jesus Christ. Now, we might all come from different backgrounds, but each of us recognize that the tremendous needs in our lives point us to one place, to God, for His answers, His provision, and mostly, for His grace. I hope the following program gives you a new perspective on who God is, who you are, and how you too might find forgiveness, healing, and hope in our Lord Jesus. Thanks for listening. kids go to children's kingdom kids and it's like half the church just left that should be reminding us and encouraging us to step up our game for real because this is who's coming up behind us these are the people who are going to need to hear the truth from us and watch it lived out day to day so when we hear all these pitter patters let that be a reminder to us that we need to be uh, as our parents would say to us on our best behavior (laughs) as we would say to them and actually really mean it. We're going to talk about some of that today. Today we're starting a new series in the book of Ephesians. I've called it Therefore, and there's a reason I called it Therefore. Back when I was in high school, I was not good at English. I was too busy doing other, let's say it, other things to be paying attention in English class. I have since fallen in love with languages and how languages work, and so I'm going to ask somebody to tell me what kind of word or what part of speech is therefore. Does anybody know? Who's courageous? Say it louder, Bree. It's an adverbial conjunction. Wow, grammar police right over there. You can be my deputy. Absolutely. The word therefore is important because what it signifies is that there was something said prior to the word that serves as the ground, the basis for what is going after the word. As we're reading, as we're speaking, we often don't think about how words work together. But this one word, therefore, and other words like it, therefore, as a result, consequently, because of, these are ideas that link two important, these are words that link two important ideas together. We're going to go through the book of Ephesians and see that Ephesians is full of these types of conjunctions. These words that are used to say, this is the basis for what I'm about to tell you to do. This is true. Therefore, you should do this. They serve as a cause and effect, or another way of saying it is they give an indicative. They make a statement of reality and then enjoin us to action. They give an imperative. Because this is true, therefore, live like this. This is, in fact, Ephesians is a celebration of the conjunction. In our first message of this series, we are going to look at what is the first pillar that Paul is using, is establishing to the church in Ephesus that will demonstrate everything else that happens after. What is the foundational truths that are played out in the later half of the book. For those of you who really like to study the Bible, the amazing thing about the book of Ephesians is the first three chapters of Ephesians talks all about theology, all about truths that are occurring in reality as God sees it. And then the second half, chapters four through six, talk about what does that look like in our day-to-day? How do we live that out? Today's message, we're going to talk about how we possess every spiritual blessing in Christ to the praise of his glory. If there was a thesis statement, that is it. 
we possess every spiritual blessing in Christ to the praise of his glory. Another way is saying the reality of our salvation is greater than any of us can fathom. We come on Sunday and we struggle at times to stand before the word of God, to sing the themes of God, to be thinking about God, to be coming to him in prayer. Why? Because we're distracted about the things of this world. The fires in our heart are growing dim. We have a spiritual apathy against which we have to constantly fight. Why? Because we do not recognize the true value of what we have in Christ. We see we're saved. We'll be in heaven one day. I'm done. I'm safe. The truth is, as we'll see, what Paul talks about here is that we have so much more that the outflow, the overflow, the outpouring of these truths are praise, are praise. The reason we need to understand this, this therefore concept, this basis in reality and this natural consequence, the outflowing of that reality, is that we too often live on one side or the other of the therefore. Some of us will live on the one side that is the basis side, the foundational truth side. In other words, we think about the realities of heaven. We learn more theology. We learn more Bible. We, we talk about the things that are true in heaven. We talk about the things that are true in God's word. But then we stop. We say it's salvation by knowledge. I know enough. I can recite the right words, the right phrases, the right tropes, the right to be a Christian. And so we take our foot off the gas, never putting it into the next gear, the gear of placing those truths into reality, those truths into our day-to-day, those truths into the way we think, act, speak, prioritize the attitudes that we have and carry in our heart. Others will live on the other side. All about doing. I've done the right things. I say the right things. I help the right people. I don't know why I do it. I hope against hope. Maybe it'll be true, but there's no grounding. So when life gets hard and inevitably will, there's no basis for doing what they do. It would be just as easy to do something else because there's no rootedness in truth, in reality as God sees it. We need to hold these both in tension. And the truth is, is that we often, while we might be inclined one way or the other, swing back and forth. Or in certain situations, we act one way. And in other situations, we act another way. So turn with me if you have your Bibles. We're going to look at Ephesians 1, verses 1 through 14. What I'm going to do, if you have your Bible, God bless you. Good job. I'm proud of you. You should start bringing your Bibles. For those of you who do not have your Bibles, we also have it up here, except right now I'm going to read through it completely, okay? So you can get the tone and hear the flow of what Paul is saying in his first big section of this book. So just listen. It's not going to be on the screen. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of of his glory. This first, verses 3 through 14, is the longest sentence in the Greek New Testament. Greek has no punctuations. There's no periods, there's no commas, so you have to make an interpretive decision when you're reading about where they go. So imagine that whole thing I read, one sentence. Why does Paul do that? Because of the riches the fullness. He's trying to tell us that we have blessing upon blessing. And not only did God do this, but then he did this. And then he did this. And he's filling it out and making us see that God is doing something huge here in our lives. That God has done something huge in our lives, even if we do not realize it. Even if we do not sense it. So let's go back to verse 1. Let's pick it apart. Let's take a look. Let's see what Paul wants us so badly to see about reality behind the scenes. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. This is a normal opening introduction to a letter during the time of Paul. It was me to you. These are my blessings. Grace to you and peace from God our Father to the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the most beautiful little nuggets in these intros, in these greetings that Paul does, is he almost always says grace and peace. Putting grace first and peace in a secondary position that we have peace with God because first God showed us grace. Undeserved favor. That God has bestowed upon us his goodness and kindness apart from anything we've done to earn it. Grace is a key theme throughout the book of Ephesians. So as we study this, it's my prayer that you see it more and more. That God and his grace to you has been good to you. The first foundational truth taught here in Ephesians, the first part of the therefore preceding, the basis is one, we have been blessed beyond our wildest dreams. <laughs> beyond our wildest dreams. I wanted to put blessed beyond belief. Blessed beyond belief. The idea is, is that we should believe it. 
This is the whole point. Paul is saying you should believe this because this is the reality of what God has done in Christ. Listen, verse three, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. What is a spiritual blessing is probably the first question that anyone would have in this. A blessing is something that is established in the spiritual realm and applied to your life through the Holy Spirit, okay? The Holy Spirit. Let's call these sort of foundational blessings. These are the blessings that occur in the spiritual realm. The spiritual realm is the place where truth, reality, resides as it is in reality. That is in the eyes of God. Here on earth, we don't see clearly. We're blinded by our own desires, our own sin. We're blinded by the culture and how we've created things to be. And we see our troubles and problems around us and assume, well, this is life. When God is saying that there is something happening behind the scenes, and what Paul is telling us is that he has blessed us in that place, and when we live as if that were true, our lives will change. These spiritual blessings as believers, as children of God, serve as the foundation, the background for our blessings here on earth. So they're behind the scenes, but... There are center stage implications. How we live out of the reality of those blessings makes a difference. There's sort of the what works behind, I'll give you an example. Let me give you an example. Someone asked me, a young person said, someone told me, let me say it differently. Someone told me, I'm going to build my credit. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to get a credit card. And I'm going to put purchases on the credit card. And then I'm going to pay it off at the end of every month. And then I'm going to build my credit. Isn't that a good idea? I said, no, it's a terrible idea. It's a terrible idea. We were sitting with a group of people and there were a bunch of us around the table and I said, okay, let's play a game. How many of us had trouble with credit when we first turned 18? Everyone raise their hand. Why? Because it's a trick. It's a trick. What they're trying to do is to get you accustomed to spending beyond your means. They're trying to get you accustomed to spending money that you do not actually have in the present. So he flabbergasted. So what do I do then? What's the best way to build credit? <laughs> kind of tongue in cheek, I'll admit. I said, become the kind of person who saves their money. Well, that's not going to raise my credit score. I said, I know, but that's what's going to build your credit is living, being coming, and being transformed into the type of person with the character who pays their bills. That is how you raise your credit score. It's what is happening inside that matters. It's only what occurs on the outside as it comports with that. We so badly want the outside thing. We focus on having the effect instead of the cause in our life. Instead of becoming the kind of person who lives a certain way, we just want the certain way. We want our earthly blessings here. And when we think about spiritual blessings, I mean, think about it. When you read that, it sounds great. I don't know what that means, spiritual blessing, but I could really use some extra money to pay raise this job promotion. My kids are crazy. My wife's crazier. My, just kidding. <laughs> and I don't need a pay raise and I don't need anything. Yeah. We often ask for earthly blessings when we should be thanking God for the spiritual blessings we already have. We already have. 
In my house, we have four lights in the front yard. And the four lights are about 40 feet from the house, and they're powered by an underground cable. Well, that underground cable has, has severed, okay? So my four lights in front don't go on. So when you drive up to the house, you can't even see there's a house. It's complete darkness. It's not safe, right? It's complete darkness. So in order to get electricity back from the house to the poles, I had to dig a new trench all the way across my front yard. I did it last year, and it stayed half done all winter. That's how excited I was to do it. So this week, it was a beautiful day, beautiful week. I decided to go out there and do it. Well, <laughs> I'm not used to digging a ditch. So I was digging my ditch. I should have called Austin. I was digging my ditch, and I was getting further and further, and I was so frustrated and tired, sweaty, irritated, whatever. I said, I don't want to do this anymore. I can't. Why do I have this? And I started thinking about all the reasons why I shouldn't be the one digging this ditch. And I started thinking about all the reasons why I should have been in better shape so I could dig this ditch. I started thinking about all the money I was going to invest having to make this repair. And then just this moment, God just like smacked me on the head and I stood up, I'm holding my shovel here and I look up at my house and I go, I got a house. I don't know about you, but where I came from, the prospect of having a house was impossible. The fact that I have a loving marriage, impossible. The fact that because of me, because of me, not because of anyone else, trust me. The fact that I have what I have today, the blessing that I was enjoying in the moment became the reason that I couldn't see the fact that God was working, had worked behind the scenes. When we're asking for something from God, Lord, bless me in this area, it's so important that we think not what is it that I need, but more so what is it that God has to do behind the scenes to change me. And when we do that, we see that God does something. He does something huge. He changes us. And oftentimes we see the things that we want don't even matter anymore. In fact, they're not even the thing that we really wanted in the end. This is the reason that God says no all the time. We tend to discount what we see in our physical reality, or, or, or only see what's in our physical reality, but discount everything about the spiritual realm. Sometimes God says no, though, to something because we already have something better. We have everything. The spiritual blessings that Paul goes on to discuss here are intended to be the foundation for everything going forward. So what are they? Let's get into them. Spiritual blessing. First spiritual blessing, verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Chosen. We've been chosen. Let that sink in. That God, out of his grace and goodness to us, knowing that we could do nothing, being dead in our trespasses, blinded to the truth, against him, chose us from the foundation of the world to be his children. The word here, proorizo, Greek, to appoint beforehand, to select beforehand. God, out of his goodness, knowing that we would be helpless, graciously chose us to be his children. Scripture teaches again and again that it's God's imperative, that it's God's prerogative to choose those who would be his children. 
This is a mystery of the relationship between God's will and our will. It's a paradox that in this world, we will never be able to resolve. The one way we do not resolve it is by allowing the idea of God's electing us to be a source of criticism of God. Well, how is that fair? Why should I be picked? Every time in the scripture, the predestination, the idea of God's sovereign election is shown for several purposes. One is to show that we were helpless. Two, it's to show that God's grace was lavished upon us. And three, it was to show that we could do nothing, nothing except respond. The truth is, is that God has chosen us. Those who are his children, God has chosen. The Bible is clear. But the Bible is also clear that we have a choice. And that choice is real. That choice is not arbitrary. There's a famous illustration of this, that's, and, I, and I'm going to wreck it because I didn't study it. It's just coming. But there's a choice where a writer is talking about what does it mean for the intersection of God's will and human will? What does it mean? How do we understand this idea of predestination and we have a choice? The idea is that the gates of heaven have a sign written over it that say, come ye whoever so will. Jesus said, whosoever will, come. And on the other side, looking back, there's a sign over the door that says chosen from the foundation of the world. The idea is, is that we are seeing this idea from two perspectives. One from an earthly perspective that we have choice, but from a heavenly perspective about which Paul is speaking here. We've been chosen since the foundation of the world and not to be puffed up, not to think that we are better, not for anything, but to the glory of his praise. In Ezekiel 16, it talks about Israel being chosen by God, sovereignly out of his gracious will to him. He said, your mother was a Hittite, your father was an Amorite. Another way of saying, you were sinners. You were so far against me, you were my enemy. Yet in that state, and then refers to Israel as a baby left out to die. You were helpless, totally unable to save yourself, yet I chose you out of goodness and grace and made you mine and adorned you. And eventually you became my bride, the bride of Christ, the church. We've been called to a life of holiness and blameless. There's big responsibility with this. Some of us say, oh, I'm saved, good. Everyone else will get saved on their thing because God's already picked anyone every way. Anyway, so let's just we have great responsibility as being children of God to live lives of holiness, set-apartedness. The basis of God's choice of us, his election of us is love. Look what it goes on to say. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace which he has blessed in us, blessed us in the beloved. Because the love of God God chose us that we would have faith. God chose us that we would be his adopted children. Why? The purpose of his will. God's sovereign, mysterious will. That is what caused him and nothing 
in ourselves. What a stunning truth. Do we really let that idea sink in? That we're not here alone, that we're not walking this path by ourselves because God has seen us. Another word that's used is foreknowledge. God, the knowledge being, I knew you like we know a person. God knew us. He knew you before the foundation of the world. He had his mind and his heart set on you. Let that sink in. It's intended to be a point of praise that he's done this out of his glorious grace, completely out of anything that we did to deserve it. We've been chosen purely by his goodness and grace, but that's only one aspect. Another of the blessings, of the spiritual blessings, is redemption, verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. That's a great word when we talk about grace. Lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. It's a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in heaven and things on earth. The word redemption means to buy back. To redeem means to buy back. We were held in bondage and in slavery to our sin, sold into slavery to our sin. Jesus Christ came to die as a ransom, to make a payment that we could be purchased out of our life and our slavery as sinners. Mark 10, 45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. His blood bought our forgiveness. And he did this according to the riches of his grace. It says he lavished this grace upon us and this forgiveness upon us in all wisdom and insight. You know, it's interesting. In the ESV, remember we talked about this as a long sentence. There's no punctuation in the original Greek. So you have to make decisions about where you're going to put commas and such. The ESV talks about, and this is the one that I'm reading, the ESV places a comma in this sentence where it says, at the end of verse 7, according to the riches of his grace, comma, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. All right, now, I would put a comma after insight and a comma, the same comma, before making, between insight and making, okay? The reason that I'd say this, and this is important, there's a, there's a point to this, is because what it suggests then is that God in all wisdom and insight lavished grace on you for the purpose of your sin. That means God knew everything about you. God knew every sin you have ever committed, ever will commit. God has known every dirty thought you've ever had. God knows every hatred that you hold in your heart. God has, ev he knows everything with complete insight. And yet, in the face of all of that, still chose to lavish grace on you and to clear the slate, to forgive you of everything. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. Not sun sets free is free indeed mostly. In baseball, oh, so I've been eating, 
more as a vegetarian lately. I know it's still me, Pastor Adam, but I have been eating as a vegetarian lately, and I have been trying to eliminate basically everything. The other day, Lainey made a lentil stew, lentil soup. And so I'm eating lentil soup. Wow, this is amazing. This tastes really, really good. Tell me what you did. She told me everything she put in it. Chicken broth. And I said, but you knew I was trying to live, try to eat vegetarian. She said, but it's just chicken broth. It doesn't have a face. I said, I know, but I'm pretty sure it came from something with a face. I said, I, I, it's not that big of a deal. She goes, really? You're going to give me a hard time for the chicken broth? I said, sweetheart, it's an asterisk. Now, sports guys out there know what an asterisk is. When you look at the records of people, like let's say the sluggers from the 90s and their amazing home run numbers, some of them hold records, but there's a little asterisk there. Because the idea is, is that there's a note. There is a qualification to it. So it's like I wanted to live vegetarian, but I'm a vegetarian asterisk. I've gone 14 days, no meat, with an asterisk, right? I forgot how I got here. Many of us live as if God's grace is complete, but there's an asterisk. Except for me. God's grace is total, except this one thing I did that nobody knows about. So then we walk around life. We live our Christian experience saying, I am saved by grace. And in our head, accept that one thing. Everything, everything has been forgiven and been redeemed by the blood of Christ purchased on your behalf, completely free, completely free to you, but not to God. Not only that, he gave us knowledge. That's the third one. Made it known to us, totally passive. We did nothing. He opened our eyes. We did nothing. We were blind. God opened our eyes to see that the mystery of his will is to unite all things in Christ. This is important throughout the whole letter because we're going to see how the uniting under Christ works for employers and employees. At this time, slaves and masters, parents and children, husbands and wives, This is the the outcome of these truths and how we live in light of these realities. Because of God's grace and love, we were chosen to be adopted as children of God. Having our sin forgiven, our eyes have been opened to the mystery of God's will. And on top of all of that, we've been granted an inheritance. Verse 11, in him, We've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who's the guarantee of our inheritance until we require possession of it to the praise of his glory. When you're adopted... That means everything that is your father's, when the father goes, is yours. People, if you adopt a child, if a child is adopted when they're 17 years and 364 days and the adoptive parents dies, in, in, in probate, it goes equally to who's left. Equally. This is something that we need to understand, is that when we are adopted, in, we have 
everything. We have riches beyond compare. We have no idea of what we enjoy, lest we begin to live like it by faith. We've been sealed. God giving us the Holy Spirit is proof that one day we will receive an inheritance, that we already have it. Paul's hoping that we grasp the great riches that we have, but he also wants us to see that the reason for these riches is because of Jesus. Point two, our immeasurable blessing comes from our union with Christ. When we look back at this text, Seven times at least, there's more, but seven times specifically, it says, in him. In him. We are faithful in him. We are chosen in him. Blessed with grace in the beloved. Verse seven, in him we have redemption. God's plan of salvation is set forth in Christ. All things are united in him. Verse 11, in him we've obtained an inheritance. In him. When we believed, we were sealed with the Holy Spirit. It's all about Jesus. Everything. Our entire existence, guys, is Christ. Part of what it means to walk following the Lord, I said this phrase the other day, to be obsessed with Jesus. We make Jesus often, all too often, just a component of our existence. We say, yeah, I'm a Christian. I I walk with God. I go to church. I do the things. And Christ is sort of the key, but that's it. And Christ is everything. Everything. And the more we learn that in our lives, the more we learn that in this church, the more we learn it in our interactions with others, how we see unbelievers and realize that Christ is everything. The more we will live lives that are in accord with what God's will is for us. What does it mean here in Christ? I'll save you the lecture on Greek grammar because it's interesting. This is called, actually, I won't save you. I'm going to tell you. This is... This is called a dative case, the dative case. The problem is, is the dative case can have 50 explanations as to what it is. So you're really left to interpret it. But so it means a constellation of things. Let me tell you the first one. The first one is it is the, in Christ means the agency of Christ. It means Christ's action and Christ's purpose and his intervention accomplished something. Christ did it. It could be the means of Christ, that Christ is the way that it was accomplished, the instrument that something was accomplished with. It can also mean location. The location where Christ is, and this comports with talking about us being raised with Christ and being seated with him on the throne. Think about that. We sit on the throne with Christ in heaven. The bottom line, it's all about Jesus. Christ is our representative in life and in humanity. Romans 8, 3, and 4 says, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. Being good, right, and doing the don't do this and do that will never work because our hearts are not capable of doing it. 
By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. He was our representative who died on the cross as a human, as a fit sacrifice for us. On the cross, 1 Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. He's our representative at the throne, Hebrews 7.25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. That means every time we, have a, we sin, every time we come before the Lord and say, Lord, I failed again. Jesus is there telling the Father, chalk it up to my account. I got this one. And not just this one, all of them. For he always lives. Just as we are Christ's ambassadors on earth, so Christ is our ambassador in heaven. Christ is the key and the door of every blessing that we have. It's all in him. Sometimes we seek to short-circuit that and do it our own way. Ask God another way. Sometimes we seek blessings apart from Christ but he is our Lord and master. It's all about Christ. Lord, bless me with this thing for Jesus' sake. Lord, I come before you and I ask that you change my heart and I'm so grateful that you've given me the grace to transform me because of what Jesus did. Lord, I know I failed again and I continue to fail over and over, but thank you, Lord, that you sent Christ to die for me. And it's because of Christ that I have forgiveness, salvation, and inheritance. We have a measurable blessing all because of Jesus. So what do we do? What's our response? Third point. Our staggering blessings are intended to glorify God. Everything in this first chapter points us to the fact that we did nothing to earn anything. God did everything. And it was completely by his grace that he would be praised, that he would be glorified. Verses 5 and 6. He predestined us for adoption to the praise of his glorious grace. We receive, verse 11, we received an inheritance to the praise of his glory. 13, we've received the seal of the Holy Spirit to the praise of his glory. These blessings that we enjoy, these realities behind the scenes that are true about us when we have been called by God, when we have faith in Christ as our Savior, when we have chosen him, when we have walked in his way, when we have embraced the grace that God has shown us in Christ, this is the reality. We have everything, everything. We were not chosen by ourselves. We were chosen by the divine will. We could not redeem ourselves. It was the death of Christ apart from our worthiness to receive that forgiveness. Once we are saved, we cannot do anything to keep our salvation secure because it is Christ who lives to constantly make intercession for us. You can do nothing to receive or earn salvation, earn salvation, and there's nothing you can do to keep salvation. It's kept for you by grace. What? By grace. 
We are promised that one day all things will be made new, including our these sinful bodies that we're in, and we'll be placed into perfect bliss and perfection. And God has given us the proof of that in the down payment of the Holy Spirit, which he implanted into our hearts by grace. God has done everything in Christ for us that we should fulfill our purpose to glorify him. How are you doing on that? Are you glorifying God in your life as a result of the grace, not out of guilt, not out of shame? God, you've been so good to me. I'm going to live differently. We sometimes use the blessings we have here on earth and we use them for our sinful motives or ends. Like think about it. When God pulled the Israelites out of Egypt, he said, I'm going to give you favor with the Egyptians and they're going to give you all of their goodies, all their gold. Then all of those goodies and gold, including the remembrance of their slavery in Egypt, are then melted down and used to make a golden calf with the Jews then worship. Let that be a lesson for us. That God pulls us out of the slavery to our sin, redeems us by nothing we've done, and then we use the blessings that he has in order to enrich ourselves in our sin. Wow. God blesses us with a job or with intelligence to get a better job or whatever. We spend the money on whatever we want. We glorify ourselves in our spiritual gifts or our God-given talents. As a kid, I used to be so proud that I scored in the 99th percentile of some stupid standardized test. And I'd walk around with a little piece of it in my pocket and tell myself, I'm okay, because I'm smarter than everyone. I did nothing for that. God did it. We walk around sometimes with spiritual affluenza. You guys remember that word, affluenza? Not that long ago, a young man killed somebody in a drunk driving accident, and the defense was that, well, he's a rich kid. His parents are enormously rich. He has no sense of cause and effect or consequences. He can't even know right and wrong because everything's just been given to him. And rightly so. We look at that and they say, that's ridiculous. But we live with spiritual affluenza. We live knowing, at least intellectually, that we've received all these blessings, but are we living this way? Are we utilizing them appropriately? Are we looking to the one who gave it all to us? In living lives of gratitude, gratitude, may it never be so that we become trust fund babies. <laughs> we have an inheritance. Let's live like we have been given it all by grace. Our entire lives should be to the praise of his glory. So where's your mind? What are you thinking about? Are you thinking about the things of this world? How I can get the next thing? How I can get up the next rung of the ladder? How are you thinking about your reality? Consider, are you thinking your, about your world and your place in it through the eyes of faith in the reality of these indescribable blessings that are yours in Christ? where Christ holds them secure for you. Yeah, life's hard, but I'm rich. I'm not sure where I'm going to pay this bill, but I'm rich. And since he's given me those, he'll give me this. Life is hard. I don't know what I want anymore, 
God knows what I need because he's shown it to me in the spiritual blessings in the heavenlies. Are we focused on getting more here and now? I need more. Do we love people, places, and things more than we love the Savior who is in reality already given us everything? Our kids, our jobs, our houses, our money. Think about it. Think about our priorities. What are we placing above the things of the Spirit in our life? What about our attitude? I really appreciated, Michael, you sharing today about how you're feeling up here, because it's true. There are days I feel like that as well. And to say that every day should be ice cream and snow cones, I made them up, I don't know, <laughs> is being disingenuous. That's why it really irks me that one lyric at the end of our one song, that I'm happy all the day. Because being a Christian is not happy all the day. Being a Christian means you might get burned at the stake. That kind of happy all the day, okay? Christian means you might get isolated from all the people who once loved you because now you live for something else. Happy all the day. When we follow Christ because he has given us so much, when, he, when we see what he's lavished upon us, that means the things that we want, the things that, that we seek in our lives, shrivel. What is it that Jesus wants? Lord, you've given me all of these blessings. You've lavished this grace upon me. You've died for me. You've bought me from slavery. Now I'm yours. What do you want to do? What what do you want me to do? What if our lives were lived like that? Some of us would be on the mission field in a foreign country, I can tell you that. Some of us would live in different towns, different homes. Some of us, our kids would go to different schools. What does it look like to completely invest your entirety into the hands of Christ, living out of the reality of of these blessings that he's given us that are really ours? We have to make some decisions then. We need to focus on him more and ourselves less. When we're faced with a situation or a circumstance in our life where we don't know how to handle it, It is not pie in the sky to say, well, I have every spiritual blessing in Christ. Christ has saved me. He's lavished his grace on me. I have an inheritance, so everything's going to be okay. (laughs) The truth is, is that God's grace is sufficient because his word says it here. His word says that I've been given everything by grace, so now I can live knowing that I'll be taken care of. We need to remind ourselves frequently of the truth that is here. The problem is, is we don't. We don't live in the reality of this because we don't even think about this. When was the last time we opened Ephesians 1? Think about it. When was the last time you opened your Bible to see what the truth of God's word says about you? and your situation, and your reality, his reality, and what that means for your life. When's the last time you went to the Lord and prayed, Lord, your will, not mine? Often I realize that even I go to the Lord a lot. Lord, I pray for this person, or I pray for this situation that you would change it and make it this. 
Lately, God's just been laying on my heart that my prayer should look like this. God, you see it, do whatever you want. How might our lives look different? It's my, it's my heart for us is that we would live out of this truth because we have been blessed beyond our wildest dreams. This immeasurable blessing that we have comes solely through Christ and because we are in him. And these staggering blessings are intend to, intended to glorify God. Glorify God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we admit that we um, that we we, li- we we don't live in accord to this truth. We live like people with double vision, and Lord, the vision of, of the of the flesh and of this world and of our circumstances always seems to get more attention. Pray, Lord, that you would give us the eyes to see. In fact, next week, Lord, we're going to talk about having the eyes to see what it is, what the reality is, what the truth is. We pray, Lord, for that now. We pray, Lord, as we go through this book and we talk about theological principles and we get into the text and all that, Lord, that we would never lose sight of what this means for us in our here and now. Lord, I pray where I fail to bring out the sort of practical implications of some of these things, Lord, you would be speaking in the hearts of my brothers and sisters. That you would be saying, no, this is what this means for you. I pray, Lord, that we would just be transformed. The further we walk with you, Lord, the more we realize, the more transformation we need. Lord, we pray that you would make us people of power, your power bestowed upon us. I pray, Lord, that we just wouldn't be another church where nice people go on a Sunday morning, but that we would be a place where we talk about power and the ability of you to transform lives all because of grace, all because of what you've done in Jesus. Jesus, I pray that you would keep our minds focused on you. Give us the grace, Lord, to be obsessed with who you are and how you lived, and how we can live more like that. We thank you so much, Lord, for our salvation, for your grace that we didn't deserve, and for the many blessings that we forget that we have. Remind us each day, in Jesus' name, amen. Pastor Adam here. Well, I want to thank you for tuning in to Grace Bible Church, and I would love to hear what you thought of today's program or of ways that we can be praying for you and with you. So check us out on social media at GBCL. Also, if you would like to support our ministry, you can give securely at our website at www.gbclm.org. Now remember, God loves you, and so do we.